All right. Well, uh, welcome again to you. Uh, if you are visiting with us, if, if you are visiting or if you're new, uh, we are working our way through the letter, uh, uh, the first, uh, Peter's first letter. Uh, we are three sermons into some amount of sermons that we will do on this letter. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, now's the time to grab it, open it up to First Peter. If you don't have one with you, there are Bibles stacked up on the table. You can grab one. Uh, and we are going to look this morning at First Peter chapter 1, three verses, 10, 11, 12. And they're good ones. You guys with me? How are you this morning? You good? I'm going to read to you God's Word now. Like God, he, he speaks to us in his word. When I read this, you're hearing God speak to you. You know that, right? Okay, so we're going to listen. This is God's word to us. Chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, and that's a salvation, by the way, he's talking about in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of our, your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven Things into which angels long to look. Those are two pretty complicated sentences. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to dive into it. Let me, let me pray for us. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even now you speak to us. And so we pray that you would uh, take this word by your spirit, plant it deeply into our hearts, cause it to bear the fruit of faith and love and good deeds. Uh, Lord, make us more and more into the image of your Son, Accomplish all of your purposes now through the proclamation of your word. Help us, help me, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles Dickens, the great 19th century novelist, once said, Oh God, what I would forfeit to have the days of my childhood restored or to be able to forget them forever. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about nostalgia. It's that longing feeling for the past when things were quote-unquote simpler and better. Do you know what I'm talking about? And nostalgia is powerful. It's why Hollywood is constantly remaking old movies and rebooting old TV shows. It's why when you pull up, you know, Spotify or whatever you use to listen to music, you want to listen to those old songs that you listened to when you were younger. <laughs> if you want to know how powerful nostalgia is, just talk to my wife about how much money she would pay to see an NSYNC reunion concert. <laughs> I love you. Interestingly, we often turn to nostalgia in times of pain and suffering. When we are faced with real pain, it's easy to find something like a song, a movie, a place, or even a person that will whisk us away and help us mentally escape back to a time when things were not as difficult. As a result, over time, we, we can develop a kind of ungodly pessimism 
and cynicism and sort of like a defeatist mentality about the world because things were so much better back then. And we grow apathetic to the, to the work that God is doing in the world right now through the proclamation of the gospel. If you've been with us for the past couple weeks, you know that Peter is writing to Christians in Asia Minor, and they are increasingly facing real persecution and real suffering and real pain. And now Peter knows the temptation that exists to just escape into romantic notions of the past and to just wish for a different time. He knows the temptation to mentally retreat into a glamorized perception of the past to avoid dealing with the present reality. I wonder if you know that temptation. Of course, the problem is that once you return from your walk down memory lane, your problems are there waiting for you. And in the meantime, what it can do is it can make you, uh, it it can cause you to grow hard and detached. And so Peter doesn't want these brothers and sisters aloof in the nostalgia of uh, escape, aloof. In, in, in the face of suffering, but alert and active and filled with hope for the sake of the kingdom in the day and the time that God has placed them. You, you know, in the very next verse, if you have your Bible over, you see in verse 13, he says, therefore, like his conclusion of what we're going to talk about today is, therefore, preparing your minds for action. So what about you? When you're faced with real suffering, do you find yourself poised and equipped to move through it with joy and hope in Christ? Or do you sort of just melt into a puddle of wistful reminiscing and remorse over the life that you don't have? As we encounter real suffering, what we find here in our passage this morning are even more resources to face suffering with hope and joy and poise and resilience What are those resources for? Peter is going to give us perspective. He's going to show us purpose. He's going to assure us of God's presence. He's going to make us positive. I haven't done an alliteration yet, so this is my first first Peter alliteration. Here it is. He's going to give us perspective. He's going to show us purpose. He's going to assure us of God's presence. He's going to make us positive. Now, I will tell you from the jump, the first one's going to be the longest. So you're going to hear me going through the longest, and you're going to be like, I have no idea how he's going to hit these other three. But I, am, I, I will tell you they are much shorter than the first one. So hang with me through the first one. Four. Four gives us perspective. He's given us resources for suffering. Uh, facing it, he gives us perspective. He shows us purpose. He assures us of God's presence, and he makes us positive. Perspective, purpose, presence, positive. Say that 10 times fast. No, don't do that. He gives us perspective. Uh, Especially when you're facing suffering, what you need, one of the first things you need is perspective. You see, when something bad happens to us, our tendency is to make our pain our ultimate reality. In those times, our our pain becomes the lens through which we view our entire world and our suffering, it sours everything and it becomes the biggest reality in our lives. And so we grow bitter and resentful and angry and depressed and we run to the imaginary past for some kind of relief. Now, Peter's writing to these Christians during a time when, uh, again, they are increasing real social and economic and even physical pain And what he wants to say to them is this. He he wants to say, I know that you're suffering. 
I know that right now it feels like that suffering is the biggest reality in your life, but let me remind you what actually is the biggest reality in your life. What is the biggest reality in your lives? And here is the biggest reality in your life. It is this. You, brother or sister, if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are living unquestionably in the most blessed favored and privileged period in human history. If you are in Christ, you are living unquestionably in the most blessed, most favored, and most privileged period of human history. And I'm not talking about living in the 21st century. I'm not talking about living during a time of democracy or political self-determination. I'm not talking about living during a time with unprecedented you know, technological advances and, and, and medical advances. I'm talking about the fact that you are living on this side of God cracking history in half by the coming of his son into the world to fully and completely accomplish the salvation of sinners. Look again at verse 10. He says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. There's a lot of clauses and a lot of commas and a lot of participles in that sentence, but let me, what's Peter saying? He's saying the Old Testament prophets, track with me, the Old Testament prophets wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they, they were predicting a day when the Messiah would come. They were predicting a day, a, a coming day where the Lord's salvation would be revealed. And that's what he means when he says they prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. That, that grace is the day when the Lord's salvation would be revealed from heaven through the appearing of the appointed Messiah. And he says they poured over these prophecies and predictions. The Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Moses, they poured over these predictions and these prophecies, looking, searching, inquiring, examining, studying to see when it was that this Messiah would come into the world, when the Lord's salvation would be revealed. And the prophets longed for that day. They longed, they, there's Isaiah writing, and he's longing for that day when the Messiah would be revealed, and they were hoping beyond hope that he would appear in their day. But Peter tells us what was revealed to them by the Holy Spirit, which Peter calls, by the way, the Spirit of Christ, is that they were predicting something, a person, this cataclysmic event that would not take place in their lifetime but in some future age. The Spirit revealed to these, to these prophets that they were, they were speaking about something that was going to come to pass in a future age, not in their own day. They yearned for the day the Messiah would be revealed, but as the author of Hebrews puts it, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Peter says in verse 12, it, re- it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. 
Here's Peter's point. All of the things they were predicting that they so longed to see and experience were not fulfilled in their day. But they have been fulfilled in your day. Amen? They were serving you by foretelling the things that have now been announced. They have been announced to you. Those things that they were pointing for, they happened. You got a little squeak, a little bonus squeak for you. They, ha- they really happened. They came to pass. In other words, what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. When Paul speaks to the Athenians on Mars Hill in Acts 17, he, he, he's speaking of God. He says, uh, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. In other words, you are living, I can say this with confidence, you are living right now in the year 2023 because of the predetermination of God before you ever took your first breath he, he graciously determined that you should live, listen to me, that you, that you should live during the most momentous, thrilling, climactic period of human history. You say, what do you mean right now is the momentous, the most momentous, you know, amazing, wonderful period of human history? That's what Peter's saying. He's saying the prophets of God, the people who were the very mouthpiece of God, they long for and hope for the day that they might see and experience the fulfillment of the prophecies they were making, but they never did. But you have. You do. You get to see their fulfillment. You are living in the day when God's salvation has been revealed in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, we, we, we uh, split history in half by this reality. You know that? It's, it's pretty funny because, you know, there's this, uh, there's this um, drive amongst historians to sort of like remove God and remove Christianity out of history. So now it's, instead, it used to be B.C. and A.D. and now it's B.C.E. and C.E. before the common era and the common era. But you know, this, you know what's so funny about all that? Do you know what the dividing point is? What makes the, the before common era and, common, and the common era, what divides it? Do you know what it is? It's still the birth of Christ. It's still Jesus coming into the world. That's the thing that splits history in half. That's the thing. And you get to live on the other side, A.D., in the year of our Lord. That's what A.D. means. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. You get to live in the year of our Lord when God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. The prophets foresaw a day when an offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and the curse of sin would be defeated. And Peter says to these brothers and sisters, you live in a day when God's promise has been fulfilled. The prophets foresaw a day. Listen, the prophets foresaw a day when a king from David's line would establish an eternal kingdom. And you know what Peter says? Fulfilled. The the prophets foresaw a day when a perfect high priest would represent us before the Holy of Holies. You know what Peter says? Fulfilled. When a perfect sacrifice would be provided to take away all the guilt of sin. Fulfilled. 
When God would supply a perfect righteousness to his people, fulfilled. When a perfect shepherd would come and lay down his life for the sheep, fulfilled. When a perfect warrior would come and defeat our greatest enemies of sin and death, fulfilled. When God would send his servant to suffer and die for the iniquity of his people, fulfilled. When we would not just be cleansed externally, but inwardly in our hearts, fulfilled. When God would remove our crooked hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh, fulfilled. When God would make full atonement for sin, fulfilled. When God's wrath against his people would be forever extinguished, fulfilled. When God would adopt us into his family and call us his own children, fulfilled. When God would gather to himself a people from every nation, fulfilled. When God would send his very spirit to dwell in us fulfilled 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 you get to live in the day of God's fulfillment you get to live in the day of God's salvation don't you understand you're living in the most blessed privileged period of human history you see what I'm saying I pop a blood vessel up here do you know that the first words out of Jesus mouth in his public ministry are this The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In other words, his appearing marked the fulfillment of all the promised prophets foretold. You see what Peter's trying to do? Maybe maybe in all of that, maybe you missed it. He's trying to give them perspective. See, in your suffering, he's saying, don't forget when you are living. Don't forget that you are living on the other side of Jesus coming into the world. And that all these promises are certainly yours because he died and he rose again. You know, uh, okay. Psychologists tell us there's different kinds of nostalgia. Coming back to nostalgia. There's personal nostalgia, uh, which is this longing for past personal experiences. But then there is what psychologists call historical nostalgia where you actually long for, you, you long to live in a time that you weren't alive. You know, like you, you, you think maybe you hear stories from grandparents or, or maybe in movies you think, what, what a time, what, it would have been better to be alive during this time. Or like kids, kids, ready? Where are you? I see you, but are you, here you are. Okay, kids, raise your hand if you think it would be cool to live during the time when there were like pirates or when there were like knights and princesses. That would be cool, wouldn't it? That'd be like a historic nostalgia. For us, it carries decidedly political undertones. Like, how does this sort of like work out for us? We think, man, it would have been nice to live when things weren't this bad, when, when, when things weren't as divided, when there wasn't as much political turmoil. We think, man, it would have been better to live in some earlier generation, some earlier age. But then there's this other kind of nostalgia, and I'm going to call it a spiritual nostalgia. A spiritual nostalgia where we long for a different spiritual time. A time maybe perhaps when God spoke audibly to his people or directly through prophets or when God would make himself known through amazing miracles like the parting of the Red Sea or a pillar of fire. Or what about longing to just live when Jesus walked the earth, you know? To see him, to hear him teach, to watch him heal people, to sit at his feet. And you see, we might look back and we might say, wouldn't wouldn't it have been nice? I wish I lived in a time where I could just hear God audibly speak through a burning bush. And do you know what Moses would say? Like if Moses were here, 
We were like, Moses, it would have been so much better if we could have just lived during a time where we could hear God audibly speak, where we see God in a burning bush. And you know what Moses would say? He would say, what I wouldn't give to live in the days of God's promises fulfilled in the arrival and in the consummation of the, the Messiah, the, the, you know, the, the life and death and resurrection of Christ. What I wouldn't give to live in the days to see those prophecies fulfilled in the Messiah. They were shadows. The burning bush, the pillar of fire, the, the Red Sea, all the, the water in the, the, you know, the rock, water spilling out of the rock in the desert, they were all shadows. They were all pointers to Christ. Christ is the substance, though. He's the thing that all those things were pointing to. And you get to live on the other side of God, fully making himself known and revealing his saving purposes in his son, Jesus Christ. You know, what a time to be alive. But Peter doesn't stop there. Peter doesn't stop there. He, he says, you may be facing incredible suffering, but don't you see how blessed you are to be on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ compared to the prophets who long to see the days you are living in? But then he says this puzzling and profound phrase. He says, things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. He says, look at your life compared to the prophets, but then he says, look at your life compared to the angels. You know, I, I titled this sermon, The Longing of Angels, mostly because it sounded like a provocative title to me. But this sermon really, really isn't about the angels, and that's kind of the point. The grace that was revealed wasn't revealed to angels. It was revealed to you. Unworthy, imperfect, sinful, rebellious creatures. God's grace, his salvation was revealed to you. And the picture we get here of the angels is, is twofold. See, first Peter pictures the angels, the angels like moviegoers. You guys know what it is, go to the movie theater. They're like moviegoers, and they are on the absolute edge of their seat, in rapt attention, watching to see how the divine story of redemption unfolds. We don't know a ton about angels, but we do know at least that they are created beings who are not all-knowing. The scriptures speak of them as messengers and ministers in the service of God to bring about his purposes. But that doesn't mean that they're privy to all of God's uh, purposes or all the inner workings of God's eternal plans. And so they are pictured here, like, uh, imagine, they're pictured here with like eyes wide open, like hearts thumping, minds racing in anticipation of how the story of God's salvation will unravel. Not unravel and like it's going to fall apart, but like how it's going to unfold, how it's, how it's going to play out. Now, why do you think Peter's saying that? Why do you think he pictures the angels just like on the edge of the seat like, are you guys seeing this? Do you see what's happening? He's, 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 the son of God's going into the world and he's going to suffer? And he's suffering not just to suffer, he's suffering for sinners? And look, now he's rising from the dead? And he's saving people and he's showing them mercy and he's giving them new hearts and he's making them a people and they're on their, the edge of their seats watching this gospel be proclaimed to the end of the earth and seeing this story unfold. And they're like, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? Do you see what's happening here? And there they are just paying attention. And why do you think Peter portrays them like that? Here's why, I think. You ever been to a movie so good that all you want to do is just kind of like be in it? You ever, you, ever, you ever go to a movie so good, you're like, I wish I could just be a part of that story. You know what I'm talking about? Like you watch the Lord of the Rings, you're like, what if I could just be one of those soldiers in the battle? You know? 
or like, yeah, you watch a pirate movie or something. What would it be like a pirate on the ship? What, you, you, the story's so good, and you're like, man, what if I could just be a part of that story? There are the angels, and, 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 and they just are, are, are there watching the story unfold, longing to be a part of the story, but they don't get to be a part of the story. But guess what? You do. You are in the story. You are in the story of God's redemption, the greatest drama that has ever unfolded in the history of the universe. You are a part of. Not the center of it. God is the center of it. But he is working in that drama in you and through you to bring about his purposes in the world through the proclamation of the gospel. Peter says you're in the story. By God's grace, you're a part of the divine drama of redemption, the greatest story that's ever been told. And you get to actually experience his salvation. And that's the, thing, the, the second thing that Peter's getting at with these angels. You see, when you, when you say, I'm going to look into that, do you ever say, I'm going to look into that? Like if I were to say to you, yo, you got to look into pickleball. I like playing pickleball. you got to look into pickleball. I'm not saying like you need to just research if you like the rules or something. I'm saying you need to look into it to see if it's something you would like to experience, to see if it's something you would like to do. And here are the angels, and they long to experience God in the way that you do, but they don't. You, you know there are angels that sinned, Right? Angels that sinned, and they were condemned, cast out forever. No mercy, no grace, no, no path towards salvation, no way to be reconciled. And the angels in heaven now who have not sinned, right? There, there's no way for them, they can know it, but there's no way for them to experience God's mercy or God's compassion or his fatherly adoption. But you do. You get to experience it. You get to know it. And so there they are longing. And so look, here's the point. In the face of real suffering, Peter says, get some perspective. right? Don't you realize how blessed and privileged you are to live in a time when you know the salvation of the Lord and experience what it is to be the object of his redemption? Brothers and sisters, if, if you ever t are tempted to look around at the world and are tempted to just grow cynical and defeatist and pessimistic, would you just remember when you are alive? Just remember when you are alive. You are alive in the days of fulfillment. You are alive in the days of God's salvation. All God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. Now! They are yours and they are secure because you live on this side of his life and death and resurrection. And, and, and listen, if you are here this morning, if you are here this morning and you have not yet put your faith in Christ, I would just say to you that God has been so incredibly merciful uh, to bring you even here this morning so that you could hear of this salvation in Christ Jesus. And you too, God has determined to live in these days of fulfillment, in these days of salvation when, God's, when his salvation is available to all who would call on him in faith. So, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. If, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Right now is the time of salvation. And don't let one more day pass before you put your faith in Christ. I told you the first point was going to be the longest. 
Three other things. It gives us perspective. He shows us purpose. Peter gives us perspective. That's the main thing. But if we would endure suffering with joy, we need to know that it's not senseless, that it's not arbitrary, that, it's, that it has real purpose, that it means something and is doing something in our lives. So look again at verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Look very carefully in your Bible. Who does Peter, Peter ultimately attribute these predictions to? He says, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent, subsequent glories. Who is that? Is it the prophets? In one sense, the prophets are the ones who predicted them, but the he there is not the prophets. It is the Spirit of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is God's Spirit who inspires these predictions because it is God's purpose from all eternity to send his son into the world to suffer and die for sinners to accomplish their salvation. Do you, you, ever, you ever think about that? You see, sometimes, I, I, I sort of said this at the beginning of the service, sometimes we think about the Bible as this book of disconnected stories that are just, uh, you know, in their own unique way, instructing us on how to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. But nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is a unified collection of stories that are all telling the same story, the same story of God's redemption, his work to rescue a people through the life and death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And at every point from Genesis to Revelation, his spirit has inspired words that tell that story. That's what we read in Luke 24 when Jesus said, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then a little bit later on in 24, he says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now look, here's my point. If all that's true, Right? What I'm telling you is that God's Spirit inspires these texts that tell the story because it's a part of God's eternal plan to bring about the redemption of his people through the suffering of his son. If that's true, and it is, that means it was God's purpose from all eternity to send his son to suffer the most horrendous, painful, infinite suffering at the cross so that he could bring about the most amazing, gracious, and glorious good in the salvation of a sinful people. And do you know what the disciples were saying, what they were feeling when they were witnessing the sufferings of Christ? Brian read it for us earlier in Luke 24. They were bewildered and confused, and hopeless, and beside themselves. Now, Jesus runs along the disciples as they're on their way to Jerusalem, and what do they say? They say, we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They saw Jesus suffering, and they thought this. Well, either God's purposes have been, have fallen apart, God's purposes have failed to come to pass, or he wasn't the one after all. That's what they thought. They didn't have a category. Listen to me. They didn't have a category for the eternal God, for the eternal good that God intended to bring out of an infinite suffering. 
They didn't have a category for God bringing about good through suffering. But that's how God works. This is what we're tempted to think when we face suffering too, by the way. Right? When we face suffering, we think to ourselves, either God's plan is just falling apart, or he never was for me to begin with. Either God's not powerful or God's not good. But do you know what the cross says to us? God's powerful through suffering. God's powerful through suffering to bring about our good. That's how God works. You see, the real defeat of suffering is not just the removal of it, but that suffering actually becomes the greatest tool in God's hand to bring about his redemptive purposes. See, God is behind it all. It was his plan. That's what Peter says at Pentecost, Acts 2.23. He says, this Jesus who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Suffering purposed by God for eternal good. Jesus was brutalized, victimized, but what's more, he became the absolute object of his father's wrath and rejection, and it was God's plan that he should suffer in order to bring about the good of your salvation. And now here's what I want to ask you. Do you remember the heading of this? He gives us perspective. He shows us purpose. Here's what I want to ask you. If God is able to purpose and accomplish eternal good through infinite suffering of the infinite suffering of Christ, cannot he also purpose your good through temporal sufferings? If God can bring about eternal good through the infinite sufferings of Christ, cannot he also and will not he also bring about your good through your temporary sufferings? You see, what the cross and the resurrection of Christ shows is that our suffering is not aimless or without purpose. There is an all-wise, all-good, all-powerful God behind all our sufferings who loves us and who intends every single ounce of pain, every, who intends every little tear that falls to bring about our spiritual good in Christ, to make us into people who are more Christ-like, who are more holy, who are more resilient in the face of suffering, that we might commend his goodness. He gives us perspective. He shows us purpose. He assures us of God's presence. Perspective and a sense of purpose are helpful, and sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes you need someone to come along and be like, hey, don't forget when you're alive. God's doing something. We need that. But God knows people are complex. He made us after all, and he knows that often what we need in our suffering isn't an argument. It isn't a rationale. It isn't a reason, but we need reassurance. We need comfort. We need his presence with us. And now look, part of what the angels are so bewildered at, part of what the angels are, are, are staring at with just utter amazement is that the Son of God, what, what is it that the prophets predict? They predict his sufferings. And, and there are the angels watching as the Son of God. Can you imagine what the angels thought of the Son of God? Can you imagine what they thought of it? The prince of heaven, the second person of the Trinity. Can you imagine what they thought of him? He's God. 
Think about all the ways that God is pictured in the Old Testament. Think about the angels that you see in Isaiah 6. They're covering their eyes because they're too holy to look upon him. Right? They're covering their feet because even the, the angels who have never sinned, they're too dirty to, to come into his presence without the, their feet uncovered. Right? They, they, they cry out day and night, holy, holy, holy. Imagine what the angels think of them. and then Think of Jesus Christ. Think of the Son of God. And then imagine what it is when they see him taking on flesh so that he can suffer with and for sinful people. They're probably like, what is happening? That he would actually take upon himself the experience of pain and weakness and suffering and death. And, and you, you know, this makes Christianity, by the way, un- absolutely unique among every other world religion, philosophy, system of thought. Right? There is no other worldview or religion or philosophy that boasts a God that lowers himself to suffer alongside and for his creation. You won't find one. There, there is one God who says, I'm going to suffer with and for my people. And Jesus Christ, God, comes down to suffer. And, and here's what I want you to see. Don't you know what that means? Don't you know what that means? What that means is, he knows. He knows what it's like. When you go to the Lord in prayer, you're not, to, you're not talking to someone who can't understand what you're saying. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to feel pain. He knows what it is to feel sorrow and grief. Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows. But not only that, he moves toward us through his spirit to comfort us in our suffering. Not only can he empathize, not only does he know what it's like, he actually overcame, he moved through suffering, and now he moves towards us to draw near to us in our suffering. Do do you remember when Mary encounters Jesus after the resurrection? Remember the story in John? Uh, Mary uh, uh, encounters Jesus, uh, Mary Magdalene says, and, and he reveals himself to her and immediately she grabs onto him. Like imagine her there and she's just clinging on to him. She lost him once and there was no way she was going to lose him again. And then Jesus says something that you wouldn't expect. Do you remember what he says? Anyone? This is not rhetorical. Does anyone remember what she says? What he says to her. He says, don't cling to me. Well, I thought we were supposed to cling to Jesus. He says, don't cling to me. Aren't? He says, uh, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But look, here's what he's saying. Jesus is saying to Mary, don't hold on to me and try to keep me from ascending from the Father. It's better for you if I go. How could it be better? How could it be better for Mary? How could it be better for us if Jesus goes and ascends to the Father? Here's how. Because the scriptures tell us that when Jesus goes to the Father, what is he going to do? He's going to send his very spirit into us. Do you know how the Holy Spirit is described? The Holy Spirit is described in a number of ways throughout the New Testament. You know what the most predominant way the Holy Spirit is described? The comforter, the helper. He's going to send his spirit into us to indwell us so we will have his presence with us always. Look, how can he say to his disciples of the Great Commission, I will never leave you. Nor for, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. No, Jesus, you've ascended to the Father. I am with you always in it because his spirit comes into them and dwells them. And if you have put your faith in Christ, God's spirit has come into you. The very spirit of Christ 
what Peter says here, so that you can know no matter what you are facing, no matter what suffering is happening in your life, no matter what hardship, no matter what pain you are experiencing, not only can he empathize with you and know that experience, he is with you. He is near to you. Is there any greater comfort than to know this? God is with you. He's with you. Peter gives us perspective. He shows us purpose. He assures us of God's presence. And finally, he makes us positive. I don't mean that he makes us like positive, cheery, you know, go lucky people. I mean, he makes us absolutely confident in the living hope that is laid up for us. Now, you know the word nostalgia. Here I come for the final time back to nostalgia. You know the word nostalgia? It literally means homesickness. Do you know that? It literally means homesickness, and that's how it was used uh, prior to the 19th, 19th century. So if you, were, if you were living in like, you know, the 1800s, uh, or the 1700s, if you, if you were saying uh, you, you felt nostalgic, you had a yearning pain for your homeland. And nostalgia is a catch-22 because at the very same moment that we experience the joy of remembering the good old days, we are confronted by two very uncomfortable facts. One is this, we stink at remembering. If, if you know this, you, you know that we, we, we tend, when we look back, we either tend to remember things as better than they actually were or worse than they actually were. So nostalgia has this uncomfortable twist to it that the thing you're remembering probably wasn't that great to begin with. But even if, here's the real, this is the real kicker, even if it was amazing and it was just incredible and you're remembering it exactly as it was and it was just wonderful beyond imagination. Do you know what nostalgia? As soon as you experience the joy from remembering it, you're hit with, you can't go back. You can't go back to it. That was a different time. And you can remember it, but you can never actually go back there. I think we have a tendency to look back and romanticize because we are homesick, actually. Not merely homesick for a past time, but really homesick, really homesick for a coming day and a coming home when everything really is better, when everything really is the way it's supposed to be, when it's pure and lovelier and more beautiful. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote prolifically, obviously, but he wrote a number of letters to a close friend of his named Arthur Greaves, and in one of his letters he says this, he says, I think I have got over wishing for the past back again. I look at it this way. The delights of those days, listen to this, the delights of those days were given to lure us into the world of the Spirit. I think I've gotten over wishing for the past back again. I look at it this way. The delights of those days were given to lure us into the world of the Spirit. You hear what he's saying? In other words, when, when we go back looking for better days, when we feel suffer, when, when we're in pain and suffering and we just go back and we're like, oh, if I could only go back. C.S. Lewis is saying when we do that, we go back looking for better days, what we need to realize is that those better days were given to us to make us look forward to the coming day. 
The day when Christ returns and all of God's promises come to pass in their fullness and we receive the living hope and the inheritance that we talked about last week. See, really our nostalgia, when we go back into the past and long, that nostalgia, it's really not homesickness for the past, but a homesickness for heaven. It's a homesickness for a new, renewed, and perfected and restored creation where God is at the center, where we know him as we are fully known. That's what Peter's talking about when he says the prophets predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. See, Jesus did not stay dead. Amen? He rose from the grave as the first fruits of the resurrection, as the first crop of complete restoration brought in from the harvest, and those who are united to him by faith will share in it with him. So brothers and sisters, that day is coming, and Peter writes so that you will be made absolutely positive. And how? Look, Peter says, look, the prophets predicted the sufferings and the subsequent glories of Christ. And now he says, you are living in the days of those promises fulfilled. And now here's what I'm saying. If God has been so faithful to keep all those promises, what promises are there that he will not fulfill? What what hope is there that he will not finally deliver you to? What word is there that he has spoken that he will not finally keep? There is none. And you know how I know? Because the prophets predicted the sufferings and the subsequent glories of Jesus Christ, and he came into the world, and he died, and he rose, and he ascended to the Father. It happened. He kept his word, and so I know that hope is coming. I know that promise that he's made to me is coming. He will surely do it. He is faithful. Amen? Therefore, encourage one another with these words all the day as you see that day drawing near. In the face of suffering, the gospel gives us perspective. It shows us purpose. It assures us of God's presence, and it makes us absolutely positive that God will fulfill all his promises. So we don't grow pessimistic. We don't grow cynical or defeatist. We don't just wish for former days. No, the gospel grounds us. The gospel makes us ready to face the days that God has placed us in with joy and hope and poise, and love, and optimism, and eagerness, and resilience for the sake of his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the hope that we have, and we thank you for the days that we are living in, the days of your promises fulfilled in Christ, and those promises that have yet to be filled, we look forward to with hope. That coming day when everything will be better, when all things that are sad and wrong with this world will be undone and we will know the perfect joy of life in your presence forever, ever increasing, getting better every day. Lord, hasten that day. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.